in this psychedelic renaissance, we are seeing a huge need for a coming together of the pioneers of this medicine and the the people who are doing solid work in this space to really offer the right information to the public. Because when you go online, mostly you just see, oh, it's all love and light. It's this full immersion into God or whatever we want to call it. It's completely negating the difficulties of this experience because any huge leap of progression is going to come with challenge. Any huge moment of that type of catharsis is going to be followed up with aftershocks and Aside from that, just to make this an experience that lasts in daily change in, in a person's life, it takes work. It takes real integration work. So, um, yeah, we're seeing a big need for cooperation. We're seeing a big need for best practices and uh, really harm reduction via education. Hi everyone, welcome to Psychedelic Conversations. This is another episode, uh, part two with Joel Briere. So happy to invite him back. Welcome, Joel. Hello, Susan. Thank you so much for having me back on. You're welcome. It's an honor. Honestly, it's been a while since we had our first conversation. So I'm really looking forward to dive into the progressive uh, situation in the psychedelic renaissance. So um it's going to be a really cool episode. So before uh, we begin and dive in, I would like to um, share a bit of your uh, bio to our listeners and uh, in case they haven't seen the first episode. If you haven't seen the first episode, guys, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll add the link below as well so you can catch that too. Uh, it was one of our most successful episodes, by the way. And um, I've been getting a lot of requests to have Joel back. So there he is. I'm so happy to be doing this again. So um, Joel, yeah, thank you. Joel Breer is the founder and CEO of the psychedelic wellness companies, Cavalier Collective. Now I can say it too, Joel. <laughs> I can <laughs> say it the first time. And Tandava Retreats. Joel has been a pioneer in the modern psychedelic movement, specifically in the realm of 5-MeO-DMT and the Buffo Alvarius Toad. Um, his unique approach of applying classical non-dual yoga philosophy as geography for both preparation and integration from the entheogenic experience gained attention around the world at the first VBAC, I think we should talk about that a little bit as well. Maybe you can tell us how, mm -hmm. how this is all unfolded for you. Joel yeah. works specifically in the retreat setting and with over a decade of experience has curated a container that is meant to facilitate lasting change, drawing from a combination of Eastern as well as neurofeedback and other contemporary Western integrative practices. I'm also interested in the neurofeedback. Please talk to us about that too. Absolutely. And Joel has a team at Tandava, a rising the bar for psychedelic and wellness retreat with a flagship center in Teposlan. I can say that too. <laughs> yeah. 
Do you know, I, I'm, I'm having these um, experiences where I'm, I'm finding myself saying Spanish words uh, organically, like, oh, it's a sign I should really learn. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's really, um, mm-hmm. it's kind of like um, infectious and uh, yeah, it gets addictive after a while. Yes, yes, indeed. Yeah. So um, we will add the full bio in the show notes. So I want to dive in quickly into our Mm -hmm. conversation for today. And of course, we will share your links and your retreats and and your offers for our listeners that are interested to to visit you and uh, interested in your services. So Joel, um, just quickly, let's talk about your background first, because before we dive into our conversation, just to give a context to our listeners. How did you come into this work? So how did I come into this work? Um, you know, to start with, I was quite into psychedelics back in the 90s. You know, I was uh, slightly obsessed with them. But unfortunately, during the 90s, I was also obsessed with all other substances as well. I grew up in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding areas. And, you know, during the 80s and 90s, that was a very dangerous and wild place. And I, uh, we can say that I fell into play with all of the knuckleheadedry. And so, of course, I had a lot of healing to be done afterwards. Um, So after I stepped away from all substances in the early 2000s, I found my healing through uh, meditation and yoga. Um, And then years later, I was living in the Virgin Islands and my two teachers reintroduced me to plant medicines. And this time being able to go into the plant medicine space, the psychedelic space without, uh, without the aversions of looking within, it was a completely different game, you know, having some sort of tool set for self inquiry. I started experiencing a lot of exponential growth. I got to travel around the world, study under amazing teachers, you know, in Australia, in India, in the Caribbean, in South America, and uh, got to learn from some amazing people. Started serving medicine around 2014, perhaps. Um, first was serving DMT ceremonially. And, um, and then I was reintroduced to 5-MeO-DMT. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, it was that classic mystical experience that just brought everything together for me. And, you know, a while after that, after I developed a little relationship with the medicine, I began serving it with the, uh, with the help of some amazing mentors in the space, some of the pioneers of this medicine. And shortly after that, I was asked to speak at the first um, WEBAC, the World Bufa Various Congress, which was uh, here in Mexico City. And that was uh, 2018. And, you know, at that time, the 5-MEO and Bufo community was and still is in a teething process. You know, it's a huge experience. It's bigger than any other psychedelic. And it has no ancient lineage to really fall back on for wisdom. It has no centralized base of knowledge that we can just learn from. So there was a lot of mishaps happening, a lot of people getting hurt, and there still is, unfortunately. Um, but, uh, you know, it was very obvious to me that there needed to be known geographies to try and navigate this medicine space. And as my background was in yoga and meditation, I'd been teaching it for around 10 years at that point. Um, It was very obvious to me, you know, the peak experience of yoga is what they call nirvakalpa samadhi, or what the Buddhists would call nirvana, but it is that full union with the divine. And that is exactly where 5-MeO sends us, or uh, allows us to remember. And, uh, so I began using, as I was already using the yogic scape for a geography with DMT for integration, it was very easily transferable to this space and actually made even more sense. And uh, that's how it all got started. And, you know, I loved hosting retreats. I've been hosting retreats since around 2010, 2011. 
Um, they'd been yoga retreats for a while. Then I started introducing medicine into them. Um, but as my other background is in hospitality, um, I just love retreats. I love making people feel comfortable. I love doing everything that I can to help people feel safe and in a space to where they can easily surrender into this process. And it's just been great ever since that. We started bringing together an amazing team. You spoke with my partner, Victoria, recently, and um, she's been an amazing rising star in the space and uh, is doing a lot with our company and is, you know, we'll speak about the education platform shortly, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, that's all her. And it's now just bringing all about trying to bring some safety and some best practices to this uh, to this medicine. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Joel. And it's a great entry point into for someone that's been around and in the space of the medicine for a while now. Um, from your perspective, what are you seeing that is happening with the psychedelic renaissance currently? You know, I'm seeing a few things. Um, definitely seeing that we are still in a teething process, seeing that we are in a learning process. Um, of course, just like with the cannabis space, there's a lot of quick money coming in, um, with making big lofty promises. And, you know, last year and year before, a lot of us were saying, okay, we see a big bubble being created. Um, you know, as millions and billions of dollars were being put into this, expecting a cure-all, you know, expecting to create some panacea as if some company was going to patent some novel chemical that was just going to cure everything instantly. You know, those of us who have been in the medicine space for a while, we know that's not going to happen. We know it's all about the work you put into it and how you integrate it. Um, so, of course, you know, over the last few months, we've seen a significant drop in most of the stocks of publicly traded psychedelic companies, um, you know, 30% and over. And that was very predictable um, in my eyes. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, now we also, we're already seeing some publicly traded companies getting out of the psychedelic space. So I think we're going to see the ones that aren't in it for the real work dropping out. And those of us who really understand this work or are really in it for, um, for the betterment of humanity are going to continue to push on and push forward. Um, we're seeing some really, really amazing work happening all across the board, you know, all across the charts with different understanding of how psilocybin can create new neural connectivity, different understanding of how different types of therapies can be combined, bringing biotech into the space. It's all really, really exciting. And at the same time, there is this looming shadow in the 5-MEO space where it's such a ununderstood, misunderstood uh, medicine. Um, you know, on one hand, you see publicly traded companies and larger um, uh, pharmaceutical and biotech companies coming into the space approaching it because they feel it's more scalable because it's a shorter acting substance. However, we know that this substance takes far more hands-on work than psilocybin for, um, for therapists and practitioners. Um, the preparation and integration is far more important here. And, you know, not just to make it effective, but to make it safe for it not to advertently harm a participant's experience in their daily life. Um, so we're seeing a bit of rush and a bit of over-eagerness, you know, on that side. And then you know, on the underground side, there's just a huge amount of what we call cowboy practitioners um, running around with inflated egos and, you know, bags of toad medicine and, and a pipe to just light people up and then leave them to be and pick up the pieces on their own, saying it's all love and light. However, you know, as integration specialists as well, we get reached out to all the time by people who are picking up, trying to pick up the pieces, you know, months after they had a, a 5-MEO experience. 
And it may have been a beautiful experience. The ceremony may have been wonderful. The practitioners may have sung beautiful songs and they felt held during it. However, they weren't given the tools to equip themselves for what comes after. Because after this medicine, there is a definitive falling away where bits and pieces of our identity that no longer serve the space we are moving into begin to fall away. They begin to make themselves known as ineffective. And that can be the most terrifying thing in the world. As my favorite uh, teacher, Adi Ashanti says, enlightenment is a destructive process. So, um, you know, the great Stanislav Grof coined the term spiritual emergence slash emergency. And, you know, spiritual awakening or this type of awakening can feel like the most terrifying thing in a person's life. So we're seeing a lot of people being harmed by this medicine as it grows in popularity. And we see headlines that say a single inhalation of toad vapor can cure anxiety and depression for up to four to six weeks. These are very misleading headlines. And a lot of people are getting hurt by these lofty uh, promises. Um, So in this psychedelic renaissance, we are seeing a huge need for a coming together of the pioneers of this medicine and the the people who are doing solid work in this space to really put our minds together and to offer the right information to the public. Because when you go online, mostly you just see, oh, it's all love and light. It's this full immersion into God or whatever we want to call it. And it's completely negating the, uh, the difficulties of this experience because any huge leap of progression is going to come with challenge. Any huge moment of that type of catharsis is going to be followed up with aftershocks and you know the wake of what will come after is serious stuff and you know aside from that just to make this an experience that lasts in daily change in, in a person's life it takes work it takes real integration work so um yeah we're seeing a big need for cooperation we're seeing a big need for um, best practices and, uh, really harm reduction via education. That would be, uh, for the most part. That's beautiful. Do you know, I cannot, uh, help but to think of the quote that I love, the brighter, the light, the deeper, the shadows. And you're, you're probably one of the very few people that I know that talks radically about how brutal it is to do this inner work of, not just the uh, medicine as a modality, but in, cause you call yourself a yogi and you know, the whole process of um, self growth is probably the most brutal and most uh, painful. It's like metaphor metamorphosis, right? And you're one of the very yeah. few that talks yeah. about is really out and directly and brutally. And um, so I always connect this to having gone through the process yourself. I always find that people are continually, um, continue to talking about the love and light and that the the self-transformation is uh, quite easy and rainbows and unicorns. I think they, they kind of, I see a lot of bypassing in that. And uh, for some reason, for those that are radically talk about uh, self-transformation as a metamorphosis and painful process are the ones that actually have done the work deeply. So I can't help to just, uh, you know, think that maybe uh, based on your own experiences, that you come to this point in life, understanding that this is a very delicate and fragile uh, process. Yes, yes, thank you. So I want to. There's lots of threads that I want to pick up. So one of them, um, again, coming back to the, the brighter the light, the deeper the shadows thing. The concept of that is, um, 
I see the uh, medicine space as medicines as all the substances, psychedelic substances, as one of the most powerful modalities or tools, technologies in terms of transformation. Therefore, we experience equally darker, shadowy, and toxic, you know, um, experiences or behaviors from people and all kinds of, you know, stuff that's arising along with it. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You know, there's a big misconception that because the peak experience of this medicine results in a dissolution of the ego temporarily, that it is an ego-destroying medicine. And that if you do it a bunch, you'll have no ego. You know, firstly, the concept of having no ego is fairly ridiculous, as we have to have an ego. To have this human experience, we have to have an individual identity. It's what allows us all of this, whether it be the ups or the downs. And secondly, continual use of this medicine does not result in anything positive um, if not properly integrated and, uh, and properly worked with. We see a lot of um, super egos strutting around, you know, because the ego just simply creates an identity around the experience. You know, as um, Alan Watts used a reference where he likened the spiritual awakening progress to a, um, a building on fire and the fire starts off on the first floor. The firefighters enter, firefighters enter the first floor and start tackling the fire there, but then the fire gets up to the next floor and the firefighters go up there and the firefighters are the ego. The fire is the awakening that is occurring. And the ego is always going to level up with our progress, our emotional progress. It's going to create identities around it. It's going to create ways of adapting to it. And so we end up seeing these super strains of, uh, of ego, of dissolution resistant ego being formed. And we see a lot of Messiah complexes come out here. We see a lot of people that are so stuck in their own ideologies that they think the way they're doing it is the only right way. Um, we see a lot of kind of, I would say radical ideologies that can end up being dangerous being formed. Um, and, you know, we can get so deep in our spiritual pro process that we kind of start taking on what we consider to be spiritual you know, and I'll use the natural versus synthetic um, here for reference. So many people are stuck in the idea that working with the toad is the only real way to do it. And the synthetic stuff is poison when it's very, very untrue. Um, synthetic is far more effective and safer with dose specificity and for so many more reasons. And we don't have to harm the toad population. And it's the same experience. But we get these ideas of what we feel it is to be spiritual into our head and create it as part of our identity and create up these dogmatic rules. So it's, um, you know, in turn, the toad population is being harmed and participants are being harmed because participants aren't being put first. Practitioners are making it about themselves. You know, we see a lot of people whose ceremonies are really just revolve around themselves. They talk about themselves nonstop and um, they are just projecting their own inner work onto their participants and thinking they know what their participants need when it really needs to be the other way around. It really needs to be making it about the participants. But um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's beautiful, Share. Can we quickly open a window? And in case our listeners, uh, we may have new listeners that don't have what, don't have an idea what 5-AMEO DMT is and yeah. maybe Bufo Todd, maybe you can just talk us about what they are. Yes, absolutely. So 5-MeO DMT or 5-methoxy DMT, not to be confused with regular DMT. When people refer to DMT, they're speaking of NNDMT, which is the visual component in ayahuasca and is the very fractal-like geometric 
visual psychedelic. 5-MeO-DMT, although chemically similar, is in no way related to regular DMT. The experience is in no way comparable. Um, they are both short-acting duration. This one lasts anywhere from 15 to 45 minutes on average. And what separates it from all other psychedelics is that in its peak experience, participants or users can go into what we call a non-dual state to where there's no longer a subject-object relationship. There is no sense of individual self whatsoever. So that means there isn't even a self to say, wow, this is crazy. There's not that type of observation that would think and make categ or categorize things. It is pure, omnipresent, infinite, boundless awareness that cannot be even slightly understood by the mind. So it's fairly difficult to describe the experience with five as it transcends language. It transcends the human mind completely. And it can only be experienced when the default mode network goes down. And as I briefly mentioned before, there's been a word for this experience in every society, you know, going back millennia. Uh, the yogis call it nirvakalpa samadhi. The Buddhists call it uh, nirvana. In Islam, they call it fena or fitra. Uh, the Christians and Catholics call it the beatific vision. It is the essential surrendering of the individual self to experience totality. It is the, uh, as Rumi would put it, the drop rejoining the ocean. And it is the most profound mystical experience or most profound experience period that, uh, that a human can undergo, in my opinion. And it's a lovely, lovely medicine. And it is commonly found in the secretion of the Sonoran Desert Toad or the, or the Bufo Avarius Toad. And then it is also used in its, uh, as we call it, the pure molecule or the jaguar is um, synthetically created. Although synthetically created gives it a bad rap. It's just a simple chemical process, generally moving it over from melatonin into 5-MeO-DMT. It's not as if it's made out of fake substances or anything like that. And then it's also found in various plants, uh, varola. Um, there's a few more. It's found in an ancient snuff called yopo in the yopo seed. Um, and uh, vilka as well, I believe. But very, very powerful stuff and an absolute wonderful experience. And is it true that Mimosa Hostelis also contains a little bit of 5-MeO? And NDMT. Oh, okay. No, no five, 5 that I know of. Not, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a possibility that it could, but not that I've ever heard. It was mm -hmm. Mimosa Hostelis that I used to do, uh, I used to extract DMT from. Yeah, because I read an article where it contains a little bit, not uh, to a level mm -hmm. that you can actually um, extract it and use it as a 5-MeO, but there's a little bit of a lingering of, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it was just an article. Yeah. So, yeah, and it's okay. also present in the human body too. Yeah. So, why do we seek this experience? Like, why do we want this five meo experience? Why do humans want? Well, since humans have been humans, we have classically sought where do we come from? What is our true nature? Why are we here? And the understanding of that can only be felt via what the Greeks would call gnosis. You know, understanding via experience or knowledge via experience. Because the great mystery itself is beyond the mind. We do not have the faculties to be able to understand that question. It is ineffable by nature. And so we seek this experience of a full dissolution of self so we can experience the full profound nature of consciousness or the infinite. Yeah. It yeah, is it the, yeah, it is that full cathartic classic mystical experience that uh that seems to just leave us remembering our wholeness yeah yeah i mean humans we're always curious and always want to explore and what is out there and what is the unknown so i understand that and of course um 
you know, with the uh, non-dual experiences, obviously it gets challenging and it's quite complex because it's even hard to talk mm. about. And uh, of course, when Fine MEO present this to us, then what do you do with that experience? And like you said, if if without any integration, so I want to pick up uh, earlier threads where you said um, it can actually, um, do you know what I love that you said? Uh, you said the ego can also step up. So when we do our work in a work, I love that. I, I first came to acknowledgement of this in the movie Limitless, mm-hmm. where the main character takes the pill and then create, you know, then his IQ increases and he writes the book overnight or something like that. And then there is this gangster in the street also, you know, wrestles up down and takes the pill and then runs away with it and takes it and also comes back um, upgraded. So that was my first acknowledgement of how the ego also upgrades and levels up to the level of awareness that we increase in ourselves and in our being. So this is very common in the medicine space. You said there's a messiah complex all over the place. And yeah. what what is it that with the medicines, I call them medicines, by the way, what mm-hmm. is it with these substances that um, always somehow people that experience it or people explore it, they begin to believe they're here to serve the medicine? Like, what is this? Are we being recruited by the by the medicines? No, we're being recruited by our egos that want to create an identity and be known for it. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah, it's you'd be surprised how many people, and it's not an ill, it's not a, how do I describe it? You know, many people have this experience where they go under on this medicine for the first time, have the most profound healing experience conceivable. And upon coming out, of course, naturally, we want everyone to experience that. We know that if everyone experienced that, there would be absolute peace in the world. We want our families to experience it. We want everyone to. And because, you know, especially because good examples are not being set, you know, because they most likely got piped by someone who just passed through and served them a pipe. Um, And they're like, oh, you know, this seems pretty easy. I could probably do this. Wow. Maybe people could look at me like a shaman and I could do this and I could do that. And, you know, it doesn't come out of ill intention. It doesn't come out of, of bad intention, but it is certainly a product of the ego and wanting to create an, an, uh, an identity around it. And so it's always important that we check ourselves there. When I first, uh, when I first had this experience, I had no desire to serve it. Um, I was already serving NNDMD at the time, but you know, luckily I had a great example set for me. You know, I first sat with the temple of awakened divinity and you know, their container is impeccable and seeing the amount of care that went into it and also seeing the reactions and participants, it was far greater than what was in, you know, involved in an NDMT and seeing how certain people go very physically dynamic and have, you know, what looks like seizures or spasms or, you know, um, exorcisms, essentially. It was very confrontational for me. And so it took me a while before I was ready to serve it. And I was actually prompted in, uh, I was training to serve ayahuasca and I was prompted to, uh, to serve this medicine instead. And um, I'm glad I did, but uh, it is very important that we look within and see why is it that we are feeling called to serve this medicine and are we really in a good place to be serving it? People need to have their shit worked out first, you know, pardon the French. They have to have done their own inner work first. They can't still be in process, especially in the first stages of their process because they're not going to be able to understand what the individual that they're serving needs. They're just going to understand what 
what they're projecting onto the participant needs. So it's a very, very important thing that we uh, that we look within ourselves and see why am I being called to serve this medicine, and is it uh, am I in integrity by stepping into this role? Yeah, I love that, uh, Joel. You know, in the somatic healing processes, that you know, this is my where my background is, and you know, mm-hmm. there is always the um, ethical concern about uh, cracking people open. And I, I understand where you're coming from when you say that you need to have that integrity when you go into this work because cracking open people comes with a massive responsibility and, and you don't want to be that person. Usually I would probably be running away from that because it's it mm-hmm. comes with, you know, it's a huge responsibility and especially the, if the person is not ready and they don't have the container. So let's transition into the container because... Um, by the way, I'm going to quote that we are recruited by our egos. This is so spot on. I think that's <laughs> true. You know, yeah. you take that one medicine experience and then you just suddenly think, I can do this. I can be a shaman. I can be a facilitator. But what about mm-hmm. all of the complexities of cracking someone open into this work, right? Then what? Do yeah. you run away? What do you do with that? So um, just, yeah, circling back into the container. So what really helps me and also my community and the way that we do this work over here across the pond is that my passion is always around the the container and having uh, super authentic people that could keep you accountable, keep each other accountable so that we, you know, as humans, we walk around with this deception. We are inherently self-deceived and we walk around with blind spots. Therefore, you know, we need this other uh, in a super safe container where people can actually be loving, but still be able to keep you accountable so that you don't mm-hmm. go off and get recruited by your ego. Right. So, yeah, yeah. and, and that's probably why I respect the retreat uh, settings so much mm-hmm. because yeah. Talk to us about your container and, and also the integration processes. Absolutely. Yeah. We really feel that a retreat container is the most effective or one of the most effective ways to work with this medicine as it allows participants a chance to step out of their daily life, out of the regular and the normal, into a different space where they can noticeably feel that they're entering a different realm and they can go undergo this work. Um, And then, you know, and not just have one session, but have a few sessions that are really tailored to them. So with our container, we begin with preparation. Um, First, we begin with medical screening. So any participant that signs up, you know, is screened medically and psychologically to make sure that we're not going to inadvertently harm them during this process. And we also have a, a swab sent to their house where they do a little saliva swab, put it back in a prepackaged envelope. It gets sent to the lab. We get to know if they have any propensity towards serotonin syndrome, if, there's a sense, if they have a sensitivity towards serotonin agonist psychedelics, and a few other things, you know, if they're nearing a psychotic break or anything like that. You know, safety is first, making sure that they're safe is first. And so we were happy to partner with a halogen um, for those swabs. It blows my mind that we can find this stuff out via saliva now. Um, And then we start with the preparation process. So, you know, participants receive a packet of information, different links, different things they can watch, different uh, information to start getting them ready for what they're about to uh, enter. And then we have some Zoom calls with them. So we take two weeks before the retreats to prepare. Um, And this involves journaling prompts, getting to know them, getting to know how we can receive them, getting to know what they're comfortable with, what kind of philosophical aspects they're comfortable with and not comfortable with, 
um, we call it the languages and lenses, you know, and seeing, seeing what lenses they like to view this mystery through, seeing what languages they're comfortable with. And, you know, give them all the information that their mind needs to prepare for total surrender. Because at the last moment, you know, after you've taken in a pipe, the last moment before full dissolution, the last thing the mind thinks is, am I in a safe place to completely lose control? Because the mind thinks it's about to either die or completely lose control. And if you haven't taken the proper steps beforehand to allow them to confidently say, yes, I am safe, you know, at that moment, there's going to be some difficulty in the medicine experience. So after two weeks of prep, we receive them here. They fly into Mexico City. Um, our, our Mexican center is just 90 minutes south of Mexico City. We have our Costa Rican center opening up uh, next year. And um, we get them down here and just get them comfy, you know, and uh, we offer a four-day and a six-day container. The four-day comes with two medicine sessions. The six-day comes with three medicine sessions. Everything else is integrative practices, whether it be yoga, meditation, breath work, uh, neurofeedback. As I mentioned, we work with neurofeedback protocols. Um, and we work with an eight-point EEG uh, headset. That um, We work with a few different protocols on there. Um, it uses kind of the pleasure centers in the brain for brain entrainment, essentially. Uh, quite often, we work with a gamma mind protocol. Um, training their brain to reach a quiet state, essentially. And this is something that can be taken into the integration as well, where we can have a headset mailed to their house and can remotely upload protocols and track their progress, which is quite nice um, because there is a very, uh, very chartable uh, neuroplastic effect with this medicine. And so if a brain is in neuroplasticity, it's very malleable. We can really help sculpt it and create new patterns and destroy old ones. So while they're here, it's a combination of these integrative practices and also relaxing, taking time for the self. You know, we've got sun lounges, a big pool, a hot tub, a Turkish steam sauna, different things where we can just pamper ourselves, you know, and really develop those patterns of self-love and self-care. And, you know, in the evenings, we do uh, different lectures or satsangs on different subjects. We do integration circles throughout the days. We also do one-on-one -on -one integration check-ins with participants. Uh, it's really about molding a participant's experience to their personal needs. So our kind of model is a group private hybrid. So we take up to seven participants any given week doing their own individual concurrent retreats. So the medicine sessions are private, the neurofeedback sessions and the one-on-one -on -one check-ins are private, but then there's group activities, you know, the breath work, yoga, integration circles and things like that, because there is a chartable effect to doing this healing work in the group atmosphere and being around other people who are in process. So we like to get the best of, out of both worlds, but we also feel that with 5-MeO in particular, it's very important to be able to keep someone's container completely malleable to their process. So the individualized uh, style really helps us there. And then integration, because that's the most important part. Um, each participant is assigned an integration specialist from our team who works with them remotely for the next four weeks uh, after their return to really help them unpack the experience and get the most out of, uh, out of all of this. That's beautiful. Oh my God, such a great job you guys are doing. I had the pleasure to speak with Victoria. She's awesome in what she does as well. She is awesome. So yes. yeah, just let's quickly open a window and talk about the five platform. So that's mm -hmm. coming up very yeah. soon. Mm -hmm. Yep, we're shooting for May 2nd, uh, launch date. And so this will be the world's first centralized hub of information and resources around 5-MeO-DMT. 
and this is for anybody from prospective participants who are looking at maybe sitting with this medicine for the first time. They can go in there and read peer-reviewed studies on it. They can read articles on it. They can watch documentaries and have links to books on it. Uh, let's say you're someone who's already sat with the medicine and it's you know a month or two later and you're struggling to integrate. You can go in the resources section and choose integrate and look at bios of integration specialists who are familiar with the 5-MEO process and reach out to them directly and get integration help. We're partnered with Fireside Project as well for those who can't afford hiring an integration specialist. Um, there's a link to the free uh, the free integration hotline and peer support hotline um, with them. Um, this is also for practitioners. We are launching a year-long practitioner training course later this year, um, and that will be uh, as I said, a year long, 11 months done online, and then a month or three weeks done uh, down here at the center getting hands-on experience. We also have a practitioner refinement course that we're launching that's very, very important. Uh, this is a three-month course, and this is for existing practitioners who either did not do an, a, an official training in our serving medicine or people who did these you know, six-day or two-week trainings that you keep seeing on Instagram that is laughable. It's, it's impossible to learn how to serve the most powerful substance in the world in a few weeks. Um, and, and it's happening a lot. There's a few groups that are just churning out practitioners like a uh, Starbucks coffee and sending them out with no tools on integration, no tools really on preparation, just a lot of dogmatic philosophy and ideation and, you know, telling them to go call themselves shamans. So in response to that, we are um, uh, offering this to people who wish to deepen their skill set, who wish to deepen their understanding of how to be of service to the participant and really make it about what participants need. Um, so we're very excited about this platform. Um, as you know, I mentioned before, there's no, not one traditional lineage that we can lean on for, for support in this, for wisdom. And so this is about bringing everyone together. So we've really brought together all the pioneers of this medicine from indigenous practitioners here in Mexico to, you know, neuroscientists, bringing everyone together to give a well-rounded understanding of all the different new nuances and facets of this work. And uh, yeah, we're really, really excited about it. It's, there's there's a huge need for something like this right now. Absolutely. And congratulations for doing this for everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Thank you. with the medicine facilitation, um, I think um, it's always great to have at least another training, for example, having a background, for example, you had your yogic background and some person, other people might have the breath work or somatic therapy because I have that background and maybe other sort of modalities of therapy and um, even holistic modalities, right? I think, yeah. do you, would you say that it's always good to have a, a great foundation of having something like that along with your um, yes. facilitating? Yes, it's in my opinion, it's a non-negotiable. People have to already be in some sort of teaching or, or a holding space kind of practice before stepping into this. Um, it's very, very important. And, you know, whether it be Western psychotherapist background or whether it be, you know, an understanding of internal family systems or, you know, human design or gene keys, you know, something like that, or, you know, whether people have been teaching yoga, any type of process that is leading people into self-inquiry is very, very important and definitely gives practitioners a leg up in this uh, in this space if they've got that sort of background. And that's what we really look for in our potential trainees. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, mm -hmm. uh, we're going to see so many people uh, jumping into the opportunity to become a facilitator in the upcoming years. Right? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. 
yeah, education is going to become absolutely critical right now, especially mm-hmm. in this space. So um, yes. now I wanted to talk to you about your stance right now. I'm, um, as I said earlier, we began our uh, session. Um, I've been following your post and lately you've been calling out so many companies that are misleading and mishandling 5M. So tell us, how are you being received? Because, I mean, I see people are appreciating you. Yeah, yeah. So, what are your things, and how, do, how that capacity and courage also that you have to do this? Because not a lot of people do this. Uh, there's a lot of us yeah. just stay quiet. Um, yeah, talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, you know, it's I've always been an opinionated person, and it's got me in trouble sometimes. Um, I have certainly been vocal, um, particularly in LinkedIn with a lot of the uh, larger companies that are making big, lofty claims about this medicine. Um, you know. People seem to appreciate it. Um, Whether it really gets taken into account by these companies, we'll see. Um, You know, we're launching our other subsidiary uh, next month, which is called Cavalia Integral. And this will be an advising and consulting firm that we are aiming at pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies coming into the space um, who wish to approach this medicine, where we will custom create protocols, whether it be preparation and integration, actual service protocols. you know, individualized to their aim, to what they're doing and to their company. As most of these people coming into the space are very inexperienced with this medicine. And we can't just apply numbers and, uh, and clinical studies to something that is beyond the mind. Um, and so really giving them the tools and support they need to make it about the participant. Um, I think it's really, really important because people will get hurt. And uh, we've seen it happen. We've definitely seen it happen. So you know, at this point in the psychedelic renaissance, public perception really matters with this medicine. And, you know, when we get headlines like Italian porn star kills friend with toad venom, you know, it's, uh, it does not help us in any way. So we're hoping to lead via example and lead via education in a form of harm reduction. Um, but yeah, I definitely do have a, a fairly no BS stance when it comes to when it comes to this work and really feeling that integrity is a non-negotiable in this space that uh, that a proper well-rounded understanding of what the stuff does is really really needed and uh, I'm sure I'll continue to to harp on it as the years go by yeah yeah please do please keep going yeah appreciate yeah. that also um, okay so in terms of harm reduction what would you like to say? Is it, does it kill people? Is it common that people die from this? Because it's not really spoken a lot. Yeah, people, people have died um, with this medicine. It's almost always due to practitioner negligence or people trying to do it by themselves. Um, People trying to do it by themselves. You know, you see people getting, you know, reading up on Reddit and things like that, and they get their hands in some medicine. They have an experience and their first experience may be awesome. Their first 10 or 15 or 20 experiences may be amazing. But then they have that experience that completely puts them out. They may be going for a low dose and they think that they can do it by themselves. And, you know, this medicine is a lot less about dosage and a lot more about what you're ready for. I've had small, just what we would call handshake doses, completely put me out and mow me over before where I was completely unconscious. And about 20% of participants purge with this medicine. So there's been people who have choked, you know, and asphyxiated on their own vomit. Um, with practitioners, there's been due to a lack of screening, people with heart conditions or people with uh, different conditions dying because of contraindications or um, 
or you know, let's say they're on SSRI or, C or uh, other medications that, uh, that can result in serotonin syndrome with this medicine. Um, there's pr practitioners you know, who will just pipe someone and just go talk to their friend and smoke a joint while it's happening. And, you know, there was cases, especially years ago with one young lady ju who jumped into a, uh, jumped off a cliff essentially in a sonote and died while she was on the medicine because the practitioner wasn't watching her. Practitioners who love to surf people near water because it seems romantic and seems cool. And then they end up going face first into the water and dying and drowning. Um, there's a very well-known practitioner who was kind of, uh, I would say, brought to light of his malpractice about five years ago. But as you know, you know, the word of that has kind of been calming down. He's been trying to make it back into the and into the space lately. He's, you know, he's been known to blow rape, you know, ceremonial tobacco snuff up participants' noses while they're unconscious and pour water down their throat while they're unconscious. People have asphyxiated on that. Um, a lot of harmful stuff. Wow. And so best practices, you know, the best practice outline was um, put out by a group called the Conclave uh, in 2018. And it's a great, great, great document just to see how to work with this medicine without hurting someone. And, mm. uh, yeah. What's the name of the, <laughs> what's the name of the documentary? Maybe we can link that also. Uh, it's not a documentary. It's a, it's a document that was put out by the, uh, oh. by, by the conclave. And so I believe it's on the, if you Google the conclave, um, mm -hmm. it'll be on the website and it's the best practices document. They also put ethics document. That is uh, quite substantial and very, very well-rounded. Wow. Thank you for this. Very enlightening. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, mm -hmm. and I believe we need to talk about the uh, all-encompassing aspects of these medicines, not just the uh, mystical experiences. As, we yeah. talk, as I mentioned mystical experiences, tell us why is it important for us to have the mystical, because I'm seeing lots of biotech companies trying to remove the mystical experience of yeah. these medicines. What are your thoughts on that? Why, why do we need it first? Like, why do we need the mystic? Why is it a big part? You know, I feel that most of the suffering in humanity is due to us being separate by name. And a lot of times we're not even aware of what we feel separate of, but we don't feel whole. Um, Self-love is a huge challenge to most people in modern day times. If we have a real palpable experience of our true wholeness and pure infinite love, it is medicine for the soul, essentially. It is an undeniable experience that puts us at ease to such degree that it uh, allows us to know that there's so much more than what we're experiencing and that it's all perfect in its own way. And when we're all suffering so deeply and all feeling so separate, a experience of total unity is exactly what is needed. Yeah. Yeah. And with that said, why is it very, very difficult for some people to have that breakthrough and rather having, you know, because we talk about uh, super fast healing or a magic, you know, these are tools that are magically can heal us and so on and so forth. There's lots of, you know, misconceptions that are out there. So what are your thoughts on why some people actually heal or have the breakthrough and some don't instead the ego levels up? What are your thoughts? And I've, I'm sure there's lots of conversations around this. 
So, you know, I'll speak to first that why some people don't go all the way in their medicine experience, why some people don't go all the way to that mystical experience, um, because there would be resistance in the mind, resistance and holding on to different areas of the identity. You know, this is a death and rebirth process. And for the mind to go down, a lot of the times it feels that it's dying. And so one, if we haven't been prepped properly and know that this can happen, we may fight it if there's parts of our aspect that we just do not want to let go of, parts of our individual self that we want to hold on to and grip onto. Quite often, it's our own suffering. We're going to hold on and fight that experience. Um, and it's a very natural part of the path. Those are the demons at the gateless gate, you know, the parts of us that want to hold on. Um, and let's say we do have the full mystical experience. Why does it, why does it sometimes not follow in breakthrough in personal life experience? Lack of integration, you know, if we just go right back to our regular patterning and allow the mind to go right back to its default mode and don't take any time to allow ourselves to drop back into stillness and silence and remember that vast experience, then the mind is going to reassert control quicker than we can even imagine. Um, you know, it's the mind had gotten the carpet pulled out from under it and now it's back and it wants to show that it can play this game. It wants to reassert itself. And, um, and it will, it absolutely will. If we don't take note of what parts of the mind come back in and try and get back in there. And that's where integration can really help because integration is never just a linear line upwards. We've always got to dive back into the shadows and our shadows will come up to say hi after the process. And if we're not there to meet them head on, then the mind is just going to create identities, create thoughts and bypass around these shadows and say, you know, God knows what the mind can say a whole lot, but uh, it really takes will and willingness for authentic self-inquiry to dive into that part, to really result in life-changing experience. Yeah, this, I mean, I can't help but to think about we cannot change or transform everybody. There's also that, isn't it? So do you believe that some people are just here for the experience and they're they don't need to transform. They don't need to heal anything. They don't need to connect to any mystical experience. You know, need would be a, a funny term, but anyone who is saying that they don't need uh, any of this generally is not looking at certain parts of themselves. And I'm not to say that everyone needs to continue healing because it's very easy for us to get stuck in the healing process and to make a pathological pattern out of healing itself. And, you know, just constantly be trying to get in there after every last shadow and rigorously forgetting how to play within life. It's very important that we remember to be. Um, however, I would say any human being deserves this full mystical experience. Any human being deserves to experience, if only for a moment, their true nature, their true wholeness. Yeah. Yeah. And. Um with the change i always you know one of the things that i bring into the integration process because we do have also uh, people coming to ask for some integration help and um, one of the things that we reinforce again and again is that this idea that the change will happen while we sit with the medicine but then actually the change happens when you come back home and you yeah. start you start making those little changes, you know, making 
choosing differently every day, waking up and maybe continually confronting your own patterns and your own way of uh, behavior. So this is like very foreign uh, in the medicine mm-hmm. space. So I, I'm so that's why I appreciate this platform will come on and you, you guys are continually screaming all this integration process and it's it's just amazing. So again, um, this notion of transformation happens while we sit with the medicine. This needs to yeah. be trashed completely. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. We can reach these peak states, but if we assume that it's only in the peak states where we achieve these healings, then we find ourselves in a state of peak chasing where we have to constantly go back to hit another peak to get to the next level instead of just as you mentioned gradual day-by-day progression of integrating this knowledge and unfolding into deeper layers um is really where proper change comes in yeah one last thing i wanted to say about this uh in the way that i've seen why integration uh is critical and also why people resist integration so much is that um so much is at stake because um, I talk about the switch, mo- you know, the switch moment, you know, where you, I, I always say life before the switch and then life after switch, meaning the, the mm. deep self-awareness, the mystical connection and all that. Uh, some people yeah. call it awakening, but I call it simply the, the switch. So I also, you know, I talk about this notion of, you know, we create such a life before the switch that literally chains us ties us to 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 contracts and uh there's so much at stake i think one of the reasons people find it difficult to integrate and rather just come and experience the medicine more so than actually doing something in their own lives even if it's incrementally is because there's so much at stake to let go to dissolve to change to make a different decision because this might mean they're going to have to have a difficult conversation this might mean they might have to move to a different country this might mean a lot of change right so um i don't know if you guys see the same but a lot of the times people don't want to do the integration process it's the painful process yes we're quite often not ready to let go of our suffering you know our own patterning bounds us binds us and uh and we attach to it you know the things that that keep us in suffering we attach to them because they're familiar yeah 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 that's beautiful so joel thank you so much for this time that you shared with us thank you before i let you go did we did we miss out anything any new projects that you would love to share with us anything new anything that um Um, to you i don't think so yeah we launched five hopefully may 2nd um Tandava or uh, Kaivali Integral will launch shortly after that. And um, if anyone's interested in joining us for a retreat, we have four and six day retreats running weekly here in Mexico. You can just go on our website on tandavaretreats.com and book right through there. And uh, if anyone ever has any questions, just please feel free to reach out. Uh, reach out through the website, set up a chat. We'd love to speak with you. And um, we have our second center opening in Costa Rica, hopefully January of uh, next year. And it's a beautiful, beautiful location. And uh, we're going to be focusing on uh, slightly different protocols. Uh, we're going to be doing more groups there and um, some really, really fun stuff with some extended integration work as well. Congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Great. Cool. So we will add your links. And of course, our listeners can get in touch with you. And last words of wisdom, Joel. Last words of wisdom. Ah. <sighs> 
are we as humanity ready for this change? Are we ready to let go of our old patterns of suffering in order to step into something completely new and unknown? The whole world is setting us up for this death process right now. We are in the death process. The old patterns and ways are crumbling and an open road lies ahead of us. So let's just each and every one of us look within ourselves and ask, what are we ready to let go of and what might we be holding on to? Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank Amazing. you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you everybody Susan. for tuning in. Hope you guys enjoy this session and please do feel free to con connect with Joel. And if you have any questions, drop them in the comments and get in touch. Don't be shy, get involved. I'll see you guys on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us. Psychedelic Conversations podcast is designed to educate, inform and expand awareness. For more information, please head over to psychedelicconversations.com. You can also share with your friends or leave a review so that we can reach more people. You can also join us in our private Facebook group to keep the conversation going. This show is for information purposes only and it is not intended to provide mental health or medical advice. Thanks for listening.